0: Welcome to the Bader Meinhof podcast. I am your host, Richard Huffman, expert in all things Bader Meinhof. We talk about left wing German terrorism of the 1970s, student radicalism, and, and other related ephemera. It's the only podcast devoted to, yet unaffiliated with, the Bader Meinhof gang. Um, and today um, I'm, I thought I would talk about the three most important books. In the development of the bottom line off group, the three most influential books, the the books that help prod them into becoming what they became. But before that, I'm going to talk briefly about some updates on the site that I think people who listen to this podcast would be interested in. Um, As you guys who have visited my site recently will know, I completely redid it um, using this WordPress, this uh, content management tool. And it's allowed me to put up a lot more stuff up there really easily. So I've been going kind of crazy lately. And two big things I put up there are stuff that people have been asking me about forever, asking me to send them a copy of them or somehow get it to them on the sly. And I just decided, well, I'm going to put them up on the site, even though I sort of don't really have permission to. Um, Number one is is this movie called Bambula and Bambula was um, was the movie that Ulrika Meinhof wrote um, and was set to appear on German public television on May 14, 1970. Unfortunately, on May 10th, 1970, she became Germany's most wanted woman for helping break Andreas Bader out of police custody. Um, so the movie was never shown, and it was basically suppressed for about 25 years. And then it was finally shown a single time on German TV in 1994. Um, I also put up uh, the history Channel International History International um, documentary about the Bader Meinhof gang that I appeared in that came out about four or five years ago. Um, it's pretty low budget, but it's it's really good. It has some amazing interviews with former terrorist scholars and of course me. Um, and both of these things you you need to register on the site, which is quick and easy. You you just need to put some kind of username and an email address, and I'm not going to ever spam you or anything. Um, I'm putting stuff like this behind this really kind of cheesy, weak registration wall um, just because I'm obviously not the creator of these works for other movies that are very easily available on Netflix and Amazon. I obviously am not going to put them up, but some stuff like this, they just seem to have disappeared. They're, they're, you know, totally unavailable. And, um, and, and I and I know that students and researchers and folks like that definitely um, would find value in them. So I'm putting them up there. Um, and of course, if I get a complaint or a request to take them down, I'm going to do it. But for now, it's it's our little secret. So um, if you want to see them, they're in the resources section of my um, of my site under films and documentaries. Um, I've also began putting up various original Stars and Stripes articles. Ultimately, well over a hundred of them. I'm going to put up there, and these are the original news coverage of the Bottom off Group in English um, over the 1970s as they chronicled their bombings, the trials and other stuff like that. It's actually unbelievably interesting reading. Um, I'm mostly putting them up there for students and scholars, but it's kind of fun and and interesting to check them out and see, um, in the context of the time. But, um, what I wanted to talk to today about was specifically the three most influential and important books that help, Fully help you fully understand what what excited and prompted the uh, Folks who created the Red Army faction Bader Meinhof group um, What got them going and of course all of this starts with with Marx? Um, in the broadest strokes um, Marx was essentially arguing that that true society was socialist in nature and capitalism fundamentally oppressed the working class and and and, of course, revolutions such as, like, the Russian Revolution overthrew this old capitalist order in, in order to usher in socialism. And later, like, I guess, mid-century of the last century, thinkers began to describe the modern era as as, uh, as an era of late capitalism. They're basically saying that socialism was was an inevitability and that we were in this kind of um, throes of uh you know the last throes of capitalism and they were sort of arguing that it may or may not come about through revolution but ultimately socialism is is coming about and um but of course this period could go on indefinitely without something coming along like a revolution and um so in this milieu this is this is what students were thinking in and learning about in in uh, germany in the 1960s and it's hard to overemphasize how steeped students were and how well they understood Marxism um, through the university system in the mid to late 60s. Um, Students were... They had a grasp of it that we can hardly imagine now. And it was not a, a theory. It was, it was cold, hard fact. This was an understanding of how the world works. This was, of course, before the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the other things that caused us to question this inevitability of Marxism. But that was not open for debate back then. Um, but, of course, there's a big problem with Marxism for students. It's though these students wanted a revolution and they wanted to overthrow this bourgeois class, Marxist theory taught them that they were the bourgeois class. It was the people under them, the, 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 um, the working class, the proletariat that was going to overthrow them. So it's kind of a fundamental problem to get excited about Marxist revolution, but realize you're the class that's being overthrown. So enter Herbert Marcuse. And Herbert Marcuse was a a thinker in Germany who was part of this group called the Frankfurt School of kind of revolutionary thinkers in the early to mid part of the 20th century. Um, He fled Germany um, before World War II and became a professor in the United States. And um, and he was a public intellectual in a way that, you know, we sort of don't have a comparison of today, at least not in America, um, where he thought in big, complex ways and would regularly speak at universities and perhaps appear in the press and and really, um, really profound thinker. And um, anyway, he wrote a book in 1964 called One Dimensional Man. And essentially it was a critique of modern capitalism and how, um, revolutionary potential was being eliminated by our enslavement to the trappings of capitalism or what he would call our, our false needs. So this is things like TVs, dishwashers and fridges. So imagine you're a student and this is really powerful stuff because Marxism before then had all been about the working class proletariat, but he was saying, no, you guys are also being enslaved by capitalism, just as much as the, the working class. In fact, maybe even more so because you have been taught to need these false things, these unimportant things like TVs and fridges. You're as enslaved as those working class people. So... With Marcuse, these students are able to feel for the first time that they too are as oppressed as the proletariat, oppressed by the very things they love. So it's like one little chink that allows them to fully bring themselves back into the Marxist fold. So now that these students and young people think that they were as enslaved by capitalism, you know, the capitalist oligarchs as the working class, they were primed to find you know, meaning in a work that was devoted to people's struggle against imperialism. So enter Franz Fanon. And Fanon was this, um, I think he was, I know he's Algerian, I think he was also half Martinican, if that's a word, um, who was like a philosopher and a, and a writer. And he wrote this book called The Wretched of the Earth um, during and, and I think after the Algerian struggle for independence. And it was translated in, into Germany a few years later. And what he was arguing in his book, and I'm of course simplifying it, but he was saying that if revolution in a in a in a society was truly going to take hold, it, it was going to take hold amongst the outsiders, not necessarily actually the working class. That Marx said he was saying it was going to take place among, say, the peasants, people that weren't involved in that industrial production, because that industrial production actually made them less likely to to be able to foment revolution. So he was saying revolution was going to be amongst outsiders outside of that class. So, of course, this is going to resonate really well with students who found a similarity in their roles um, as students, yet, yet, yet they were fully outside of the industrialized production machine. They were not working class. And, you know, of course, this willingness to conflate their station as essentially uh, privileged students with with peasants in Algeria. It kind of speaks to this generalized kind of willingness to fetishize um, cultures of people of color from the North Vietnamese um, to the Black Panthers in the U.S. to the Algerian independence fighters. Um, and this was common of the time. Um but 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 beyond that much of the reason that students found this book so um compelling was not just because of what fanon said what's but because of the introduction that was written by jean paul sartre and he was essentially saying that that this book that you're about to read is an advocation of violence. He's advocating that you take action and be violent. Now, I think that's debatable if you actually read Fanon, but if you read Sartre's essay beforehand, it's hard to read Fanon's work any other way. And of course, that was pretty exciting to a lot of these students. So, so now you got students who have fully embraced Marx's thought and have been taught by Marcuse that They themselves were enslaved by the working class, or as enslaved as the working class. And then they were further taught by Fanon that the most effective revolution against imperialist capitalism is going to come from this outsider class. Hey, that's just like us, they're thinking. But Fanon was talking about the third world, and he wasn't talking about a revolution in a modern city like like Berlin or or Frankfurt. So enter Carlos Margahella. Um Margahella or Margella um, was a Brazilian Marxist revolutionary who was committed to overthrowing the military dictatorship um, in Brazil that lasted through much of the twentieth century after World War II. Um, he'd been arrested, imprisoned, tortured many, many times by the Brazilian government. And in the late 60s he went Fully underground. So he was, um, he'd participate in bank robberies and kidnappings. And finally he was ambushed and killed um, almost exactly 42 years today. It was on November 4th, 1969. Um, And before his death, he'd been working on this manifesto of sorts. It was, see, unlike Che Guevara and most other um, people at the time who were leading these revolutionary struggles, they all advocated uh, guerrilla activity in the countryside and jungles to kind of nitpick and fight the fight the um fight the the capitalist society and the oligarchs um from the jungles in the countryside Margahella was saying no we can mount this war in the cities so this manual that he wrote um it was full of generalized advice about weapons training, bank robberies, stuff like that more, Um, and explained the importance of issuing, say, communiques after actions, such as bank robberies, so that the people would understand why the money was taken and further support them, um, in case the people were thinking, oh, it's just like a a criminal that robbed this bank. Um, And in retrospect, so much of it seems you know, foolish. Um, and the fact that the writer of the manual died while following his own advice would seem to warrant some caution. Um, but of course it didn't. And and the book was translated um, into Germany or German after his death. And it was published in Germany um, in May of 1970 by the Klaus Wagenbach um, Publishing House. But of course, on May 10th, 1970, Ulrike Meinhof helped break Andreas Bader out of police custody. Ironically, Bodder Meinhoff were supposedly working on a book for the Klaus Wagenbach publishing house. So this brand new urban guerrilla group came into being at the exact time that the very manual for how to become an urban guerrilla was published. The timing was perfect, um, and, of course, the manual went into great detail explaining how important it is to get training and weapons training and other stuff. And this is probably one of the reasons why they immediately, this group of about 15 to 20 proto-terrorists, immediately packed up and made their way to the Jordanian desert to, to um, learn how to be revolutionaries in a Palestinian training camp. So these three books, um, Herbert Marcuse's One-Dimensional Man. Franz Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth, and Carlos Margahella's The Mini Manual, The Urban Gorilla, they are all essential reading if you want to understand what prompted and got um, the Bader Meinhof gang going. Now, on my website uh, a couple days ago, I actually put up the entire mini a translated version of the entire mini manual of the urban gorilla so you can read it at your leisure It's somewhere in the resources section um, it's actually interesting reading but it's also hard to read it without recognizing that it's somewhat he probably didn't realize at the time but somewhat delusional the idea that you would have these attacks lead terrorism and expect Um, the public to support you Um, in retrospect we know that that didn't work and wasn't going to work but they didn't know that at the time anyway i thank you very much for listening Um, hopefully i'll have another podcast um, for you to enjoy sometime up in the near future Um, thanks again bottom bottom